0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers. This is episode number 56 of the uh, Chat with the Designer episodes, and, uh... We are here this evening with your host, George N2APB, and co-host, Joe N2CX. Chet with the Designers is your live, online, interactive, weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains. This evening we have a really special show, and I hope that you all will enjoy it. This is something that Joe and I have been doing for a number of years, is collecting good references, technology references, product references, and such. And um, essentially we put them into our respective notebooks, but we are starting to formalize our notebooks and externalize them for others maybe to use as uh, beneficially as we have been over the years. And um, we thought that this show tonight would be a great one to overview the Chat with the Designer Design Notebook number one, Designer Essentials. So um we have listed on our, our whiteboard and hopefully everybody is able to get to it and and access it and Joe maybe if you could put the uh if you could put the um address up there on the in the text uh window that would be helpful and um we can kind of get down to it thank you so um what we've done as i said is to collect various um Snippets, uh, news pieces, um, articles, some manuals, some books, and other such reference material that is that we found to be invaluable relative to our understanding of um, the technology, uh, useful for some of the upcoming designs. And uh, just plain downright interesting from a from ham radio technology perspective. Now, you will notice that um, actually the most of the ones in this design notebook are taken from electronic design. We've been collecting this information over the years from electronic design. They, that's a marvelous online publication. If you haven't heard of it already or get it already, uh, you should. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and what we have is a method of... Um, Collecting these short articles that really tend to uh, talk about uh, one topic or another that are of interest to RF community a lot. And we, as hams, are a subset of the the overall RF community. So the articles are not necessarily geared specifically for hams, although there are some that come pretty close. And uh, um, so as a result, they might be a little bit on the kind of like the uh, the edge of your understanding. And I guess what we'd like to do here tonight is to go through um, some select articles as the highlighted areas in the, uh, in the introduction here indicate we can't do everything within the hour, and we're going to get rolling really shortly. And we can only spend a few minutes on each topic. What we wanted to do is to introduce you to a given article, and with the hopes that you'll get a chance to either print it off on your own and read it, or just read it online, uh, download it and file it for your own notebook purposes or whatever, and um, give you our perspective on why it's important, why we thought it was useful, how you might be able to use this information, either now or later, how it might relate to some of the things that we've talked about in the past here on Chat with the Designers, and um, overall, you know, again, how you you can uh, best utilize this reference information. So um, I think that's about it, and uh, we've got a cool product of the month that I do want to take a few minutes at the very end of the program to talk about, and hopefully uh, you podcasters can also stay with it long enough to hear about the, the cool product uh, that we bumped into. It's called the Ultimate 2 QRSS Kit by G Zero UPL, Mr. Hans Summers, out in Germany. It's a fabulous little kit. I really, I've, I've got mine in order, and I can't wait, so I can't really testify to its operation and, and such yet. But from the reports that I read, he's in like a round two of it, and it's, uh, it's a really useful kit, small, inexpensive, and we'll talk more about that. Okay, Joe, um, if, uh, if you have anything to add from the overview perspective, please, please do that. But then uh, please quickly launch us into topic number one from the uh, chat with the designer Design Notebook, Designer Essentials.
1: Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, George did a good setup for uh, these articles. Some of them are um, in terms of uh, stretch pieces for uh, mini hams. They may not be familiar with um, some of the um, uh, equipment and techniques used in industry, particularly um, for the ones from the trade journals, uh, electronic design that uh, George mentioned. But um, it's kind of intentional that we have them in here to give you an overview of the sorts of, uh, um, in this case, uh, in the case of the first one, measurements that uh, are done in industry and a little bit of information about um, their background and um, why you should know them, kind of to um, uh, expand your horizons a little bit on uh, things that are done. First one is, um, it's a, a paper um, from, uh, I think it's National Instruments. The, the link is there on the page. Um, five RF transmitter measurements every engineer should know. And, in fact, uh, the same thing applies to hams. They are in order, and I'll, I'll just read them off. Output power, power in a band, unwanted signals, phase noise, modu- modulation quality. Um, output power is something, of course, you know, we know, we want to know what kind of uh, transmit power we're running. Um, if we're running QRP, we're going to be running 5 watts. Um, if we're uh, going the legal limit, we're running uh, 1.5 watts. Uh, um, kilowatts uh, PEP, Um, so it is an important thing, very important uh, characteristic of a transmitter. Similarly power in a band, now this is not so much to hams, but uh, um, some of the more uh, sophisticated uh, modulation techniques. Um, are not restricted to a narrow bandwidth. They put out power in a band, and and there are um, legal restrictions to how much power, how the power is spread out in in a certain bandwidth, so that must be measured. Obviously, unwanted signals, we want to know, we want to be sure that we're meeting um, FCC regs on um, attenuating unwanted signals so we don't cause interference in the band and we don't get a uh, uh, slip from the uh, the government, from the FCC. Phase noise is a very important uh, thing, um, if you have phase noise in a transmitter, if you have noise sidebands on your transmitter, you're going to cause interference in a band. Um, I won't say much more than that. Similarly, if you have it in, in the LO in your receiver, you'll get what's called reciprocal mixing. If the phase noise is too high, where that um, you'll be mixing uh, strong nearby signals into your passband at the receiver, cause you uh, uh, background noise that obscures reception. And modulation quality, obviously, is uh, as of interest. You want to be sure that your your signals are crisp and clean. You're putting energy, for example, in a voice thing where you want it so you can be heard. Um, if it's uh, data, you want to be sure you're not splattering all over the band. And for CW, you want it nice and crisp. With uh, You want your modulation, the uh, transitions, to be... Uh, um, rounded waveforms, but not too round so that they're still sharp, but they're not causing, uh, uh, ex- not causing unwanted sidebands. Anyway, this, um, this, uh, this piece is not specific to HAMS, um, but it, it does give a good overview of uh, RF transmitter measurements and uh, some idea of how they're done. Uh, just parenthetically, the ARRL also has a, a lab note or a lab, uh, lab uh, test procedures manual. You can get from uh, from the AWR website, which is very detailed in the hands-on of how to do uh, RF measurements. Very very good piece. I would recommend that for anybody who wants to do hands-on. Over to you, George, for the next topic.
0: Thanks, Joe. And that's a that's a good job in the power on the um, uh, the power measurements and such. These are really great papers, and I'll just underscore that. Most of them are very easy reads, um, all said and done. Short reads, uh, two pages at most, and uh, it's fun just to browse through it in the evening. They included the Zigbee. I have topic number two, the Zigbee, because we've been talking about it here in um, chat with the designers, but we're not going to get into that one now because we think that there's some really cool ones that we do want to have time to talk about. Item number three is understanding signal analyzer architectures. Now, if you happen to have glanced down through this, what it is is really not a talk about how to use a signal analyzer or what is a signal analyzer, but it talks about what's inside a signal analyzer. and specifically like a uh, uh, the process for a spectrum analyzer is you know spectrum analyzer signal analyzer in this case here um, talks about the process of knocking down or mixing down down, uh, down converting a signal from RF or wherever you know you uh, the signal might be originating down to an area of uh, the spectrum that your instrument can read, can display, can measure, do whatever. and the problems with mixing as we'll see in a future in, in a little uh, an item downstream in this um, topic series tonight about mixing, that you need to worry about anti-aliasing um, and filtering of unwanted signals that come about from the down-sampling process. I think it's really useful and helpful to understand what you're, what an instrument is doing if you're attempting to use an instrument uh, to measure something, and um, even better so if you're attempting to build your own instrument. And I guess I could point out just in passing as I wrap up this topic is that there are there have been, over the years, a number of build-it-yourself, do-it-yourself types of uh, spectrum analyzers that are fabulously instructive to um, build because you really understand what goes on inside when you do that, whether it's a KD1JV spectrum analyzer or, oh gosh, Joe, the classic uh, one, uh, W7ZOI, was it? Is that who ZOI did o. it? Yep, yep. Okay, so if you wanted to do that, look those up. But those are really useful instruments, and plus you can get some inexpensive, um, low bandwidth, lower bandwidth uh, spectrum analyzers, and have yourself a ball with with this thing. But understanding what's underneath the hood is a lot of the uh, a lot of the learning process too. Joe, the next topic.
1: All right, the next topic is uh, number 9 and by the way, uh, George mentioned it but I just want to emphasize. I fell in the trap. We're just dis- on the white page, we're discussing the uh, topics that have uh, their title highlighted. We're not uh, as George mentioned, we're not mentioning every one, but look for the yellow highlighting. Um there's a circuit um in uh, topic number 9 that takes a um uh, clock oscillator in and uh, generates a, uh, a direct digital synthesis uh, chip um, or a, a direct digital synthesis technique um, uses some digital uh, circuitry and some uh, very good uh, switch capacitor filters to generate uh, very clean uh, sine and cosine uh, uh, signals. Uh, this this has relevance particularly for um, Somebody building uh, uh, software-defined radios or uh, direct conversion radios that uh, need the uh, I and Q signals, which are the sine and cosine uh, signals. This circuit shows a way to uh, very precisely generate exactly the frequency you want and to come out with uh, signals that are exactly sine and cosine. They're exactly the right 90-degree phase shift between them, they're in quadrature and uh, very, very clean. So it's a handy way of doing it without a lot of mucking around and uh, fancy circuitry. Basically, the idea is you build the circuit and it works, which is um, just parenthetically, um, a lot of the things in electronic design, a lot of the, artic- a lot of the issues have articles um, which have some sp- very specific uh, circuits that are handy, they're, they're not common things you might think of, but um, someone has sat down and designed something to do a very simple, specific job, and um, they're described in fair detail to let you know so that uh, you can duplicate themselves. You can duplicate themselves, and uh, not surprisingly, a number of them are by uh, either homebrewers or even hams. On to the next topic, George.
0: Oh, thanks, Joe. And, you know, in, indeed, the, uh, uh, the, the topics... Oh, shucks. The topics are, are useful here that we're talking about here, and uh, that circuit, for example, is something that we tossed in the discussion mix here for tonight because we've been talking a lot about, in the, past, in the recent past, about DDS chips and signal generation, and, and uh, many of us know that the DDS chips are quite small and hard to solder in, and you need a circuit board, and they're expensive, and so on. Here's a method that you can generate. I think it's up to one megahertz signal um, with good spectral purity, relatively stable. Uh, Standard off-the-shelf types of parts that you could hand wire, so that's uh, that's why we included that. Coming down to uh, topic number twelve, we love batteries. We hams just love to know about our batteries and know how to charge them and use them and so on. This one is understanding lithium battery trade-offs in mobile devices. Again, it's an industry paper, but but heck, we are you know we have mobile devices that we take out of the field, especially this coming weekend for field day. So um, what we wanted to talk about in, in this one or point out in this one was that lithium ion batteries are pretty cool. This this article, um, has, a, besides having a great little chart of kind of the trade-offs that you make in selecting a battery for a product's use, same too can be for your ham radio, um, again, that you're taking out in the field. Is it a small size or is it going to be an external type of battery? It, does it have to be lightweight? Does it have to hold up and be protected from the weather and the rain, quite durable? So a lot of different factors come into play is choosing the kind of battery that you want. So whether it's market demands, um, um, pouches or ways of carrying the battery, runtime per charge, application support, i.e., you know, how the battery is monitored, battery charge, life cycle, the calendar life, how long can, can it sit on the shelf, thinness or the overall size, the weight, um, things of these natures are quite helpful and are overviewed. And lithium batteries are among the newer kind that we have in in the amateur world, and they're quite powerful, and they require a little bit of respect too, as I think you know. So take a look at this article, and I think you'd like it. Um, Item number 13, Joe.
1: Okay. Thank you very much, George. Yeah, this is, this is a topic that's kind of neat. Um, I'll get back to the applicability to ham radio in a sec, but the, um, the title is Fundamentals of, uh, Communications Access Technologies, FDMA, TDMA, CDMA, OFDMA, and SDMA. And, uh, boy, the, the basic idea is that it's discussing, um, ways of cramming multiple signals into a, uh, a channel. Um, most of this is applicable to uh, cell phone use or other uh, other means where you want to get a number of signals in a uh, communications path. And these are ways of doing it and a description of uh, how they're generated. Um, I won't go into how they're generated, but there's a combination of... Um, analog and digital uh, techniques used in uh, cramming these signals into a, a given uh, set of frequencies and uh, a complementary thing on the way out. Um, FDMA, for example, is frequency division multiple access. A fancy way of saying you have uh, channels in, you have individual channels for each user in a given uh, band of frequencies and uh, frequency division uh, uh, multiplexing um, you know, uh, it's like the broadcast band where the signals are spaced every uh, 10 kilohertz. You can cram um, theoretically 100 into uh, the megahertz that the uh, broadcast band compasses. Similarly, um, each cell phone carrier is given a, um, a certain bandwidth that they can transmit signals in, and they, they just divide that up into channels the individual users. You know, getting more sophisticated, time division multiple access uses digital techniques where um, a given bandwidth is separated into time slots, and each user each uh, user on the system automatically uh, uh, is assigned time slots where his signal goes through. The time slots are narrow in the order of uh, milliseconds, so the signals are all digitized and squeezed into the time slots, and synchronization at the other end picks them out one at a time. Uh, more sophisticated means is uh, CDMA, Code Division Multiple Access, where there's a digital... Um, digital uh, tech... uh techniques employed to generate a spread signal spectrum where the the totality of the signals are spread over the given bandwidth that the uh, given service is allowed, but each has a, a scrambling code in there, which is pseudo-random, but known, and they all occupy all of the space, all of the frequency space pseudo-randomly there, and uh, they're taken out at the other end by a correlator, which knows time-wise when a given signal is going to be there, code-wise, rather not time wise uh, that undoes it uh, undoes the scrambling code and picks a signal out they're very very powerful and a good way of, uh, of optimizing the bandwidth orthogonal frequency uh, division multiplexing is um, similar to the frequency division multiplexing but it uses another technique where the channel spacing is uh, related it's digitized signal channel spacing is related to the uh, um, the basic uh, uh, data rate of the signal so that uh, the signals are what's known as orthogonal. So that in addition to frequency spacing, um, being able to separate the signals out, the fact that uh, they have this characteristic means that they don't interfere with each other. And SDMA escapes me at the moment. (laughs) Uh, Spatial division multiple access, that's easy. That just means that um, in a given area um, transmitters are uh, assigned um, frequencies, even the same frequencies, but they're low power. And uh, by, by dint of their uh, spacing from each other, the signals don't interfere with each other. Anyway, a lot of words, but um, it's a very, very good uh, uh, treatment of those various multiplexing techniques to get a lot of signals in a small space. Applicability to ham radio is that... Um, not many, but some ham repeaters are set up to use some of these techniques so that you can have a repeater that's not dedicated to just one person. You put multiple people on, on one repeater and share that uh, high spot to, uh, to get the number of people on a good repeater rather than just one at a time as the trad- traditional repeaters are. Over to you, George.
0: That's a good topic, Joe, and again, I would underscore people to take a look at it, because it really kind of, and the reason we included it here is that it captures the evolution of Um, mobile communications um, over the recent years and the different modulation techniques used and culminating to what is now uh, the basis for LTE. Um, uh, LTE. Long-term expansion. Yeah, long-term evolution, I think, is what the next item says. Um, I'm not going to really talk about it at all, but I just wanted to point out that the next item, too, talks about the current LTE, um, which is the basis for a lot of our phones these days that are running 4G or quasi-4G. 4G, and you can understand that if you if you think about the um, orthogonal frequency division multiplexing that uh, that Joe is talking about there. Um, item 15, kind of we we shoot all the way down from the you know from the gigahertz uh, region all the way down to the audio baseband. Item 15 is raise your decibel awareness in audio measurements. We included this one here for tonight's uh, brief um, uh, summary uh, in that we also deal with audio baseband uh, signals in our ham work, and sometimes uh, even some of us are audiophiles, and we thought that that uh, again raising your decibel awareness would, would be kind of interesting because there's a couple of things that are different in dealing with audio uh, specifically. uh, At least one is that it deals with a 600 ohm standard load as opposed to the 50 ohm that we deal with in um, the the ham world at RF and therefore the decibels are referenced to a different uh, um, impedance, and this 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 paper covers that, and it's quite interesting. Um, and it goes through and provides a lot of the uh, simple equations and examples, which is the nice part about it too, because it uses numeric examples and it can it can kind of take you along the uh, the path. And we can really relate to some of these equations for power and converting between uh, voltage and power to the decibels with reference to 600 ohms or dBu as opposed to the DBM that we're often familiar with. And by the way, looking at the top of this article in the link, I see an advertisement for the Beagle uh, board. And I just got a um, an advertisement from DigiKey, as many of you might have, about the Beagle board is now a, a new version of the Beagle board is available for $45, super powerful, yada, yada, yada. So if you're interested in a, um, a nice, uh, what they call a pocket size or a credit card size uh, powerful board such as the Beagle board, uh, to put a linux operating system on and do some other things with it there you go we're not going to talk about that tonight though maybe another night but i didn't want to let that go too long in case you are interested in linux Uh, so uh let's see joe do you want to take the next one
1: certainly george yeah This um, this is an interesting topic it's the fundamentals of short range short range wireless technology um And many of us um, do this uh, both on a ham radio aspect and with things we have around the house. It's a discussion of um, the sorts of methods that are used for um, short-range wireless communication. Um, you may, uh, well, obviously, uh, if you have a garage door opener or a, a remote fob uh, for your car to uh, either open the doors or to start it, or uh, shucks with uh, cell phones these days, they have uh, near field communication, which is used for exchanging data between uh, phones or for making purposes, purchases. Um, we all use Wi-Fi. And there are various, uh, various, various um, forms of Wi-Fi and and, uh, infrared. Uh, this is a, this article is an overview, which has a whole bunch of information just to give you some idea of the sorts of methods there are for uh, short range communication describes them in a little bit of depth so that you can understand what frequency range they are, their uh, limitations and their features so that you can pick the right one for an appropriate um, appropriate yours or to understand what um, if you have a, a particular product, what the limitations might be or some of the benefits. It's a very, very good thing to get your head screwed on about uh, short-range communication. And it fits in mentally with what us hams do, uh, something that any of us should be able to grasp and uh, make use of. On to op-amps with George.
0: Yes, indeed. And just another parenthetical is that if it isn't obvious, what I did in constructing the whiteboard here uh, this time was to take the introduction article, uh, introduction paragraph of the article, and um, also select a, um, a pretty nifty representative chart. That is inside the article. It's not totally about um, uh, that particular chart. There's a lot of other information in the article about that. Hey, Paul W8AEF. It sounds like you've got your vox on or something. Your your background noise and Morse codes coming through. Could you could you check that, please? The um, uh, the, the charts there. I like in the fundamentals of short wave uh, or short range wireless technology is really. Really nice. It's a good summary of where the different frequencies are and the ranges for the different technologies that uh, we often uh, deal with every day. Let's take a break at this point here. We've been blasting with topic after topic, and we just wanted to take a bit of a breather and open the mic here for anybody to make a comment or a question. It doesn't even have to be related to these uh, topics so far, or maybe an observation about the uh, the Designer Notebook series that we've got here. Operational amplifiers, how do they operate? And uh, we thought this was a really good one because it talks about some of the basics of, of op amps. And uh, we're, we deal with a lot of these op amps, both at RF and, uh, I'm sorry, at, at audio and even up into the RF too, if, if we're careful about selection of them. So this article here deals with defining the op amp Talks about uh, negative feedback controls uh, for gain, uh, frequency domain behavior, how well does it respond in frequency. The thing that we talked about the other uh, week, or maybe even last week, last time was uh, gain, um, oh shucks, uh, gain frequency Gain, bandwidth, gain product. bandwidth
1: product.
0: Yeah, gain bandwidth product. In other words, how well does it amplify at the higher frequencies is is of extreme importance and is an indicator of stability. Uh, input bias and offset, common mode type of operation. Um, uh, what they call uh v uh, f b and c f e or voltage feedback and current feedback uh characteristics and limitations uh, why you would select one type over another so again um if uh it's only a short article, but it's a good overview of the approach that you would use in selecting an amplifier, and some of the basic equations and for determining gain. And it's really useful to kind of come back to this occasionally on the bench, and uh, or, as as I often do, is I have uh, materials at my arm's reach when I'm reading one article or another out of QST, Radcom, whatever. And um, I see a circuit and I say, huh, I wonder what that gain is. And if I can't happen to recall the configuration for that amplifier versus the gain, I'm able to look it up pretty quickly and better understand the reading material as I'm going through other stuff. So just some other tips uh, on how we use this information. Next topic, Joe.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. Fundamentals of uh, crystal oscillator design. I, in various um various industries I've had to put my hat on and do some crystal oscillator design both for uh, radio communication stuff and for uh, digital circuitry. So this um, this piece is a a good uh, overview of um, uh, quartz crystal uh, resonators. Uh, it, it gives a very good description of um, uh, what resonators are and how their their uh, uh, electromechanical characteristics lend themselves to being used for frequency control devices. Uh, it goes on and has a, a bunch of math, most of which you can kind of ignore, but uh, an understanding of it is uh, it's kind of important, uh, and it gives guidelines on how to uh, understand a given crystal you have Some of the parameters that uh, it has, Um, it's uh, particularly uh, things like uh, frequency stability versus temperature, which is often of uh, interest to us, and uh, designing a crystal oscillator for a given purpose. And then some of the other characteristics that uh, have to do with uh, the goodness of the oscillator. For example, startup time, if you're keying a uh, crystal oscillator in a transmitter, you want it to come up, turn on very quickly. You don't want it to take forever to start up, whereas something that um, uh, you may tweak for another need um, for a clock, for example, where it's always going to be on, doesn't matter if it takes uh, 10 milliseconds to come up. It's uh, not a big deal. And uh, some of the other um, handicaps of uh, crystal oscillators are uh, described in there and how to uh, circumvent them, how to understand what they are, to characterize um, what they are, and to uh, try to, try to um, circumvent them. Very, very good overall description of uh, crystal oscillators, um, the background, and uh, how to design good crystal oscillators for a given purpose. On to you, George.
0: Thank you, sir. And uh, the uh, uh, crystals and measuring crystals brings to mind that kit that we had an ages ago from Jim Corchy, K8IQY, and uh, concerning um, crystal measurement, which was PVCX, oh gosh, PVXO, the PVXO. And curiously. Um, PCVXO, isn't it? Um, something oh, like whatever. that. Yeah. And it uh, was a really nifty box that Jim had designed um, with an ability to measure the crystal parameters. We curiously have parts left still here in, in stock from years and years ago for that, PCBs and uh, crystal sockets and some of those neat switches and so on. And I've uh, been meaning to kind of contact Jim and say that we could uh, do a final run of that if there was enough interest. So that uh, that's uh, what's piqued my interest about that article. Okay, on to microcontroller networks, which is, uh, oh gosh, topic, I forgot what topic it is now, but go down a couple. Of And it's uh, top microcontroller networks gaining control of the world or something and communicating. It's really a nifty article because, again, the the chart here that we included on the uh, summary here on the whiteboard is really, really handy from the standpoint of listing down in a left-hand column all the different kinds of technologies for communications that are around for microcontrollers communicating with each other, increasingly we deal with our projects and kits and even the radios with uh, um, them communicating information out or having information coming into them on just a, a, a few is a few word a few a few um, cables these days compared to the the old days of the parallel port, the not so old days of the RS 232, and now we're into the I squared C the S SPI, uh, the CAN bus, and Ethernet, high speed USB, things of that nature. And um, what really piqued my interest about this article was a good description of I-squared C. I think I-squared C, to me, anyways, is today's version from an understanding and basic, uh, I kind of call it a bread and butter communication between different devices, even between different boxes, uh, communications method that RS-232 used to be a while back. And of course, we don't even see the RS-232 connectors on the computers anymore, but we do have I-squared C on ch- on a lot of chips. So this, this article overview is I-squared C, Um, really nicely from a diagrammatic and and bits being transferred and the speeds and the protocol and such. Really handy to to look that over. Joe?
1: Okay, very good. Yeah, I just want to uh, follow up to on the, I think it is the PBXO. Um, that uh, Jim Courty came up with. Um, there have been discussions on uh, several uh, email reflectors, particularly over the last uh, several months, on um, characterizing crystals, quartz crystals. And uh, people have come up with uh, this circuit, that circuit, and this method and that method for doing that. Um, uh, um design there is a very handy way of having one box and some other uh, associated uh, test equipment with it. But to do um, crystal parameter measurements so that you can characterize a crystal, a quartz crystal, particularly if you're building um, uh, crystal filters, very very handy way of doing that. And uh, Jim uh, K at IQY has a a very good way of describing how to do things and coming up coming up with methods that are very useful uh, and very practical. So that's a that's a good uh, good project even if you don't. Uh, um, get the thing, uh, uh, get the project box, uh, look into uh, his, uh, Jim Corchie's uh, design, and you might want to duplicate it yourself, very handy way of doing it. I, okay, put the, uh,
0: I just put the link for the kit that we had back then just to give people an idea of what we were de- dealing with then, Joe.
1: Very good, thank you. Yeah, and I think probably Jim's manual is in with that, so uh, they can get access to that as well. Uh, the next topic is, um, it's a subset kind of of uh, the networking that George is talking about, in his last uh, topic, uh, Universal Serial Bus. Um, RS-232 as a protocol for communication between boxes was um, pretty simple and easy to understand. Um, universal Serial Bus, on the other hand, is kind of uh, black magic to a lot of people. Um, and um, many of the USB things are not really designed um, quite properly. Um, or their products are designed with subsets of universal serial bus. So this article is a, a description of what the USB uh, spec is and uh, how to design uh, interfaces between boxes so that um, you can make them do what you want and to, um, to be um, robust as opposed to uh, something, some of the darn uh, consumer products that kind of sort of work with USB. This uh, this article tells um, how to do it properly and uh, what's involved in doing that. Um, good basis information if you're uh, if you're if you want to work with USB and um, not just uh, do something canned.
0: Item 27 is the uh, Fundamentals of Spectrum Analysis. Now, I mentioned a little bit ago, a couple of topics back about uh, signal measurement of, of some sort and how you got to be careful of filtering and know it's good to know the inner workings of your uh, measurement devices. Well, this one here um, is actually the techniques on how to use your spectrum analyzer. And you might think that a spectrum analyzer is just totally outside your... Uh, Outside your your budget, outside your capabilities of using, um, and too sophisticated for the kind of work that you do. I urge you to think again. I was in the same category some oh five to ten years ago, maybe, and I came across a low-end used um, uh, spectrum analyzer, and and I actually was building up one of the ones, the W seven Z O I one, and Ultimately, got um, the, the, found the used one to be of great assistance to me in giving additional visibility to my projects. This article kind of goes through the different things that can be done um, in measuring um, an RF signal. Uh, you hear things about um, RBW and selectivity and, and so on. We talk about the, uh, this article talks about the analysis spectrum analysis fundamentals. It goes through the inner workings of the analyzer, how to understand the analyzer specifications uh talks about different kinds of modern signal analyzers and um, even if you don't end up getting one knowing about the capabilities are pretty useful to you as a as a budding designer on the bench or even if you're just uh, trying to analyze somebody else's design this is a really
1: insightful article joe Thank you, George. Yeah, it is a very insightful article and and, um, having used spectrum analyzers over the years, um, being very familiar with them. um, Still, you go back and look at an article like this and and, uh, you can still learn things from it, learn how to do things better or... you may have been doing, um, doing a certain measurement didn't get the results you wanted. Uh, going back to basics sometimes in an article like this, which gives a, a wide overview, can help you sort things out and um, improve your understanding. All right, uh, the topic I'm going to talk about now, drop for a sec is uh, understanding amplifier classes. Now, we deal with uh, amplifiers as, as hams and most generally um, we, unless we're building we don't know what class the amplifiers are. But um, there are a, a number of letters that are used to designate the the uh, types of operating parameters. Um, alphabetic letters starting with A. Um, this this article gives a, a good understanding of the um, what the various numbers mean uh, or the letters mean as far as uh, what the amplifiers are, and a description of their their um, uh, their benefits and their shortcomings. For example, type A amplifier is a linear amplifier. Fantastic, gives you good linearity, uh, very clean signal out, and a lot of gain. The handicap is that um, because it's always producing power and um, it's biased in the middle of its operating range, it always wastes power. Um, the very best efficiency you can get from it is 50%, and that's only if you're operating it at full output signal. If you're operating it with a lower um, amplitude, the efficiency is much, much less. Um, and you go to, to some of the other uh, classes, the higher letters, uh, D, E, F, and G, and you can approach um, 80 90% efficiency uh, with the, with the, the um, added complexity there. Uh, so, anyway, any rate, this gives a very, very good overview of what the various designations mean, how to understand them, and what some of the, uh, the limitations and trade offs are in, in uh, using them, and uh, particularly in designing them. A very good thing, as I mentioned, with the spectrum analyzer article. It's often good to go back to something like this uh, periodically, and uh, (laughs) you'll learn something new as you go along. Um, Okay, on to impedance matching, George.
0: Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, And I'm going to take all three of the uh, the impedance matching ones and just sort of talk about them collectively. You might want to look ahead to the uh, item number 35 as your next one. But for impedance matching... Um, we have three consecutive articles that were listed there. It actually, they actually talk about um, three different uh, major kinds of impedance matching networks and so on. But we thought this would be a really useful article, an interesting article for us. Uh, many of you who have been with us and since the uh, early days of Chat with the Designer recall that, uh, oh gosh, I don't know, about a year ago. We um, we were talking about we had an impedance a, a low pass filter design project. We talked a lot about impedance matching then. So this really brought this article kind of resurrected a lot of the, the thoughts and considerations. And this is a, a good article for the basics, as the title as the title implies. I mean, right from the I think the article uh, or the summary diagrams that I have on the board talk about uh, essentially maximum power is transferred uh, when the source impedance is equal to load impedance and And that's when you get the maximum, uh, uh, the power transferred to the load uh, when those two are equal. It goes through various other cases, too, when it's not quite the same or more appropriately stated is that when there are complex impedances involved with it. For example, uh, most of us have 8-ohm or 4-ohm speakers, or if you've got earbuds, those are like 32-ohms. And the uh, if, if you're into it enough, you know that the audio output, uh, the audio power amplifier output is on the order of like less than one ohm, usually. And this is really, the article shows that this is a good, uh, a good condition, mainly because of the, again, the complex nature of the speaker as a load and the mechanical response of the speaker itself. So in that case there, it's not quite... Uh, uh, Zn is equal to zl is the optimum. And same too, when it comes time for matching stages of amplifiers from one stage of amplification to another, for example, um, it's important that these stages uh, cancel uh, the reactive component of impedance, such that the, uh, the real component is, uh, are matched, um, that's another dimension of, of matching your impedances. And the thing that we deal with all the time, of course, is matching um, the impedance of the transmission line to the output of the amplifier that, uh, that is driving it. Or on the other side, the antenna side, making sure the antenna Impedance, typically 50 ohms, is matched to the cable. We'd like it to be 50 ohms. So, again, all the principles of of impedance matching come about in this three-part series, which is really informative. And, again, we come back to the main thing. This is not rocket science. It's not being explained as rocket science. There's no math uh beyond uh basic uh addition subtraction and, and, and common sense so it's a good useful recap for you to kind of apply to the principles that we deal with every day here in the bench as far as in this case impedance matching joe
1: okay yeah i one other thing um you mentioned the uh, audio output not being a matched case um there's a there's also an instance uh, i particularly run into with uh VHF and UHF uh front ends where <clears throat> You, increase, you can get an increased or a decreased noise figure in a receiver in some cases if you're not matched to a 50-ohm transmission line. Uh, there are times when it's a compromise between getting the the most uh, signal into an amplifier and getting the lowest noise characteristics of the uh, the input the uh, input of a receiver. So you you trade off the two there and try to get uh, the best best match you can, but still uh, minimizing uh, noise figure at um, VHF or higher. Okay, uh, the next topic is fundamentals of low power design. The idea here is that uh, with many systems. Um, the system does not have to be powered up and operating at full steam all the time. Um, I'll give you an instance. Um, a cell phone. When your cell phone is uh, uh, not being used, not, uh, not accepting a signal, you're making a call. It's not on all the time. It sits there, and it periodically looks out at the network. It pings the network to see if there's a call for it. But um, when there's no call, it shuts down, and at some predetermined time later, be it uh, seconds or um, probably something in the order of seconds, it turns on for a very short period of time because that looks at the network, and it doesn't waste power when it's not being used, so it shuts down in between. Many um, uh, computer uh, systems are like this as well. Computer and digital systems, where if they're not operating at full steam, they can do, go into a uh, sleep mode where they <clears throat> they still maintain um, operation at a low level, so that they can wake up and um, and do processing. They're also sometimes even with uh, uh, regular computers, if they're not actively processing some high uh, uh, computational load that uh, they get go into a partial sleep mode and uh, cut back their clock speed so that uh, so that they can uh, reduce uh, power save batteries or to uh, minimize heat anyway this uh, this article is a description of some of the, um, the basics of doing that to uh, save power while still providing reasonable performance and then cracking up the full power when it's needed on to you George
0: and my parenthetical for your topic there, Joe, is that uh, that technique of powering up only for brief periods of time of operation is precisely the way that the uh, the XB transmitter module works um, in a certain mode, uh, such that in Frank, uh, n 3 POU was telling us um, the uh, last uh, couple of episodes ago that that's why he can power his XB um um, module in the remote sense, I think it was remote temperature, uh, with a 9-volt battery and have it last for almost a year. Wasn't that right, Frank? Oh, Frank's not online. Sorry about that. Don't worry about it, Frank. So um, um, that powering it up only for brief periods of time. And you've got a luxury, of course, when you're a transmitter to do that. And that's, uh, that's kind of a really handy thing to do. And by the way, we're going to talk about that technique uh, we're going to talk about a project called Thumper. <laughs> oh, I don't have time to talk about it now, but we have a neat project coming up called Thumper, uh, having to do with XP and perimeter uh, nodes in our mesh network and so on. But anyways, uh, on to mixology. I love dealing with mixology, like late at night, just before I go to bed, have a little bit of a drink. and experiment with mixology 101. But this is a different kind of mixology, um, one that we deal with and pretty are pretty comfortable with, actually, um, in, in ham radio world, and mixing two signals together in order to get a, um, um, a higher signal or to get a lower signal based on the local oscillator that is being mixed with the incoming RF signal. It's a basic fundamental of radio um, heterodyning and um, mixing to... Essentially, here be able to ultimately hear RF signals and the modulation uh, coming across on them. So this is a really good article. It's a good, uh, you know, any kind of a 101 series article talks about the basics. And here we talk about the basics of uh, the mixer operation, some of the the fundamental um, uh, equations. I wouldn't worry too much about the equations. Um, I like to look at the pictures, and I and and look at the uh, uh, the. The principles being made in the pictures are often much more illustrative than uh, a given uh, you know, set of equations, at least in this overview stage. And this, this article offers some really good images relative to the different kinds of mixing architectures, many of them that we see in our direct conversion receivers. And they even talk about some I and Q types of mixing um, and methods of getting rid of the unwanted or the out-of-band signal. Um by means of phasing to um uh to illuminate the um uh the mixing product, so take a look at this I think you'll identify a lot with it as we go through and understand our different q r p rigs you'll probably identify with this article Joe.
1: Okay. Yeah, that is a uh, that is a very good and very relevant article. Um, I, I enjoy things like that too. My mind works very visually, so looking at um, a page full of equations sometimes just uh, absolutely blows my mind. But I can I can grasp uh, grasp a concept better if there's a picture. Just uh, just the way it works. Okay. Um, Item 45, topic 45, is another thing near and dear to my heart. It's uh, welcome to antennas 101. It's a very simple, um, simple description of antennas, uh, and of course, antennas are a, a topic near and dear to anyone's, any ham's heart. We all use antennas, and we all like them, and uh, like to play with them, and think that the ones we have the best. Uh, this is a uh, a basis article, very simple article, describing some of the uh, important things about antennas, uh, conversion of a uh, an electrical signal into uh, orthogonal electric and magnetic fields, launching them into air. So uh, in that sense, an antenna is kind of a transducer. Uh, it converts electrical energy into uh, RF energy so that it can be uh, transmitted over a distance. Uh description of some uh, simple basic antennas, a dipole, it's a pattern, a, a monopole antenna, quarter wave whip, and onto something that's uh, used quite a bit these days in our cell phones and uh, PDAs and uh, uh, iPads and such, the patch antenna, uh, which is a, um, it's a, Relatively new sort of uh, thing where there's a a metal um, pattern on a printed circuit board over a copper ground plane, which actually becomes a radiator, a very low profile uh, and efficient radiating antenna and um they are even used in arrays um with their plates of them to uh, form directional antennas. If you look at some of the panel antennas that are used for cell phone sites, some of them use arrays of patched antennas in them to uh, to make uh, directional antennas. Very very simple um, and basic idea and uh, this this uh, this article gives you some warm fuzzies about what antennas are about and uh, some of their characteristics
0: as well as the uh, the the even an antenna that's on a pcb as far as etching your antennas right there onto the circuit board i thought that was pretty cool we've seen that before and this one uh, provides some additional references too that we can dig into if you're uh, you're so inclined, the uh, the next one is it's the DDS versus the SI 570. This was a topic that brought up by Rick uh, K3IND, who's not with us today. Un- unfortunately, he's usually here every single every single time with us. Um, I think it was Rick recommended that uh, we take a look at this uh, paper, and we did. I contacted Hans Sommer G0UPL. And uh, he gave his uh, blessing.
1: By the way, he's uh, from Britain, uh, not uh, Germany. Oh,
0: doggone! Um, I don't know how I got that uh, impression. It sounds, it sounds like, like
1: a German, German name. name. <laughs>
0: Maybe so. So uh, Hans gave his uh, his blessing for use of this thing, um, of this paper, and I just I summarized it real briefly there. And he categorized. Uh, he went through a. a categorical type of comparison of the two different signal generating techniques that are very common with us in ham radio these days that have using a DDS, direct digital synthesis, uh, which generates a a sine wave after filtering, um, or an SI570, which generates a square wave, uh, which is often used for clocking local oscillators pretty efficiently in... um, in SDR rigs, too, um, uh, quite often. So what Hans did is, is he went on on categories of the output waveform. Another category was frequency range. He considered frequency stability and accuracy for the two different uh, types of uh, clock generators that are shown there. Frequency agility, in other words, how well can you change frequency? How well does it, is how easy is it, and how well does the uh, device change frequency when programmed uh, with a different uh, command? What is that programming interface between the two? Um, talking about spurs, as far as like what are the extraneous signals that are ultimately uh, generated during the generation fr- process? Phase noise. And uh, there's been oh all sorts of discussion on the lists about phase noise and uh, everybody's looking for the, the lowest phase noise and how do you get it and, and so on. Well, Hans produces, and lastly, uh, power consumption and cost and some other features that uh, maybe some of the chips give in addition to their native capability. So Hans gives a good, uh, it's a short paper, but it's a pretty useful one from the standpoint of really covering both uh, devices for, um, a given topic. And he gives his winners. Um, uh, each, each category has a different winner just about. So it looks like it's a toss up, but it all depends on what your design, what do you want your design to do? And what are some of the design considerations for that? Um, very useful paper. And, uh, I enjoyed it a lot and I, I corresponded with Hans and he's a nice guy, a real nice guy, Joe.
1: Okay. I think we're done with topics. One thing I'm not sure, Hans did uh, uh, give the nod to DDS for agility, but I'm not sure he specifically mentioned that uh, um, frequency jumps of more than uh, some reasonably low percentage um, introduce a delay with the F- SA 570 that are not present on the, uh, on the DDS. Did he specifically mention that point?
0: I don't recall it, but you indeed are right. And in most of the, our our um, SDR projects that we've got on the bench or that come along in kits, you can detect that phenomenon that you're you're mentioning, Joe. If you tune quickly, and I think it's on the order of 60 kilohertz. Every 60 kilohertz or so, um, they're stated stated uh, stated easily. I guess the SI 570 can move very smoothly by using a secondary counter, uh, counting register, control register. Um, until you get outside that window of, of localized smooth tuning, then you got to program a new base counter from which you will then use the the smooth counter again. It's every time you go from the smooth counter edge to the new base is when you do hear a little bit of a, a blip or a, a little bit of an RF uh, type of anomaly. There are techniques to use to uh, minimize that, but it's always there one way or another. Um, okay, let's get into the cool. Pro- well, first before we do that, let's wrap up the uh, the. Top Topics here. Uh, we really hope that you, uh, your listeners, kind of uh, got a feel for the projects, uh, for the technical reference articles that we have here. Uh, they are exciting to us, Joe and me, and hopefully um, to, to you guys too, since you're here. And hope that you use it, uh, you know, to your to your benefit going forward. We would be happy to talk about any one topic in depth. Um, and we may do that anyways uh, in future episodes of Chat with the Designers. Or if you wanted to contact Joe or me afterwards or out of band, uh, just to ask a question about one thing or another, that's uh, uh, we'd really encourage that. We could discuss it on the list as well. And even though I didn't mention it, hopefully you learned that each of these different topics with the numbers on it 1 through 49 or 1 through 54, whatever it is, the actual name of the topic, with the underline on it, was the link to the article. I didn't mention that, but just in case. Joe, other summary about the uh, about the topics here.
1: Yeah, I think uh I think it's a very good cross section as uh, as we both mentioned earlier um we're trying to expose you to a a uh, a variety of topics here uh some with um relatively simple um, one-on-one type uh, uh focus others digging in a little more deeply but to give you a a set of references where you can go in and uh, dig into uh some more depth in these topics to come to a better understanding of what's going on. And indeed, um, uh, as always, often happens, some of these references also have references of their own to, um, to get into it and to, uh, to gain a, a deeper understanding of what's going on with the radios, or um, that is, topics, uh, particularly as, a, as applied to ham radio and uh, allied things, and to uh, just get a, a good grasp on what's happening, what's possible, and uh, where to go for more info. Um, an attempt at that, and uh, we'll have more in the future for sure. There is no end of links that uh, we trade back and forth and uh, have in our back pockets, so to speak.
0: Oh, indeed. there That's the case. And you're really right, Joe, about the number of um, references that each one of them has. Oftentimes, the almost all the time the author puts a bibliography or a list of further references at the end of his paper because admittedly he knows it's a short paper and the interested uh, interested student as it were would want to go for more information now K2 LAZ Laz mentioned in the text uh, text box for the session here tonight how he found uh, interesting the third order intercept being represented in that one diagram when i was talking about the uh, the modulation techniques that's specifically the reason I chose that article, that uh, that uh, diagram to put up. Is it really illustrated uh, uh, one dB compression areas of non-linear non-linearity, um, the three-to-one deriv- derivation for um, intercept um, identification, and it was really useful. Now, even in an article that just has a quick summary like that of a topic like um, IP3, is uh, is an, oftentimes you want to dig a little bit deeper. As Joe mentioned not just uh, only the lab the AWRL lab um uh, uh procedures manual um is a useful thing but the entire you know the entire manual uh, handbook itself is is invaluable Chances are you guys have it, but um, I'll bet you that maybe like some of the mine have been in the past, it just sits there on the bench, or I mean on the bookshelf, without uh, too many creases in the papers, in the pages. I urge you to go to that, uh, your ARRL handbook to the, I, I love the RADCOM, um, the RSGB handbook, I forgot what the exact name is, but I love those, I, I like the, uh, frankly, I like the, uh, the RADCOM a lot, because it includes a lot of technical detail. Um, that I want to know to a deeper level. Um, They're great supplements to the kind of information we talk about here on Chat with the Designers. And if you ever wanted one simple go-to place, one simple go-to book, For reference about just about anything we talk about here in the ham radio world, of course, it's going to be one of those two handbooks. Um, Go to the handbook of your choice, and uh, you can probably learn an awful lot from it. Sample circuits, projects you can build, and so on. Um, Let's chat for just a few moments about the project of the month. The project of the month, which is really a bit of a misnomer, or the cool product of the month, because we talk about one of these things every episode now, which is twice a month, but um, in the process of going to Hans Sommer, G0UPL, and Hans, I hope you're listening to the podcast at some time. It was a real pleasure kind of connecting with you on email, and um, um, Hans is... uh, Hans's, uh, one of his current projects is the Ultimate 2 QRSS kit. I gave the link for it at the very bottom of the page at the cool product area. And you can see what it is. It's a a three, it's a transmitter uh, for low power, um, slow speed transmissions. Uh, That's QRSS. And the idea with QRSS in a gross sense is to transmit low speed CW, very slow speed CW. And then uh, as long as you know where that, uh, on the receive side, if you know where that slow speed, very low bandwidth signal is being transmitted, you're able to dig that out of the noise. It's got a high signal to noise ratio if you know where to look. And there are receiving stations around the world. Um, Typically here in the States, we'd like to look to the UK for um, receiving stations that actually display the transmitted signal that's coming from your little QRSS transmitter. And you can actually see uh, evidence of propagation uh, characteristics and uh, how low can you go kind of thing from the standpoint of power. So here's a little transmitter board set. It's a it's a uh, uh, microcontroller. I haven't looked in, I can't describe it, and the schematic is, is not in front of me now. But it's a small controller board a, a, uh, that controls a DDS chip. And uh, the output of the DDS chip is filtered with a little uh, filter board on the far right-hand side, and there is an LCD that displays characteristics of the signal that's uh, that's going out, the mode that you're in. And uh, this transmitter board can—it's uh, a very inexpensive kit set, and I've heard people talk about it. Again, he's in <clears throat> round two of the uh, the generation of of those kits, and uh, it does QRSS, it does Whisper. Uh, weak signal propagation, um, something reporter Reporter. and, uh, FSK CW, which is a mode, a, a derivative mode, uh, dual, uh, oh shucks, DFCW, um, is, CCW. I should read the darn thing instead of just kind of going from memory and Hellschreiber as well as CW and FSK so it's got a number of modes that is, is really kind of handy to, to kind of play around with low power transmitting and uh, again once you kind of plug into that whole network you'll be able to see your signal on a, uh, <clears throat> on a website being displayed as a bunch of dots and dashes uh, very slow scrolling waterfall and to get a good indication of uh, the propagation from your transmitter location to that receiver location. Hans has done a really really nice job with this project, and we wanted to kind of put it out there and give you guys a chance to to take a peek at it. Uh, Joe, any, uh, any comments on this project?
1: It is kind of a neat project. I like the fact that it has uh, so many different modes uh, cranked in um, just to get philosophical, just to wax philosophical for a minute. That's one of the beauties of being able to apply um, microprocessors to uh, communications is that uh, you can crank many, many modes into a pretty simple thing. And all the complexity is only in software. And we all know how easy software is, but it makes it much more versatile in a simple project. Hans has done a superb job of this.
0: Alrighty, so there you go. As far as I know, we've still got uh, parts uh, or kits left in this run. I don't know how long it'll uh, last, but there you go. Alrighty, folks, that's uh, that's about it for tonight. Before we do wrap it up, we wanted to toss it out there and see if anybody has any comments about the material that we covered tonight. Thanks so much for attending here tonight, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We had a lot of fun putting it together, and uh, I hope you get a chance to review the technical information that we provided here. There's a likelihood that we'll be taking one of these topics um, or another topic in a forthcoming uh um, chat with the Designer notebook series and talking about it in greater uh, depth such that we don't have to rush through things. But hopefully this was a nice overview of things to kind of give you a, a potpourri of technical uh, topics and, and uh, good material to kind of chew on for a bit. So 73, y'all, thanks a lot, thanks a lot. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks. This is N2APB and N2CX saying good night from Chat with the Designers.